Brilliant. Uh, just something that, um, uh, two things or three things actually I wanted to highlight before we get into the mix of the preach, which I'm so excited about. Um, the first one is, uh, is that some of you, or I'm sure all of us, at some level or not, have been following the conflict in Israel and all those things that have been happening. We just wanted to update you church-wise um, that through some people in the church who already have given um, uh, on and off, there's, a, there's an amazing uh, church in southern Israel. They do a huge amount and they have done in all of the past uh, in, in supporting just in times of conflict, getting food, hampers to people where it needs to be, all those sorts of things. Um, and so we're able to, because of your generosity, send a bunch uh, this week of cash to actually get out things where the need is. I just think it's such a privilege that we can help in that situation from, uh, from here in Zim. So that just comes down to your generosity and your, your offering. So we're excited. We'll update you on what happens there. But an amazing church group will also send how you can follow what they're up to. And uh, just maybe for some of us, whether we're Christ followers or not here, um, I just wanted to highlight how I think we best navigate these times, particularly when it comes to this nation of Israel. And if you're new to the faith you, or, or, or exploring faith, it may mean nothing to you. Um, but if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, there is the sense that Israel has a special place in, in our hearts and God's hearts for, for his reasons. But there's a few things that I wanted to help us in leading as a church in how we pray and we speak about this. The first thing and the most important thing in something like this is we pray for Palestinian and for Jew to come to faith because the reality is the majority of people in Israel don't believe in Jesus at all and the same would be said for Palestine so to be honest that's our greatest prayer as Christ followers Lord Jesus whatever outcomes and whatever happens war wise actually net result would people come to know Jesus Would the church shine would this be something that points people towards um, a life in Christ. So that's the first one. That's the ultimate goal. Second one, I think, is we pray for protection of the innocent. That's something that Jesus would do. That's something that we do as we pray for protection of the innocent. War always has casualties on both sides, and we want those who are innocent on both sides, because there's innocent Palestinians, there's, um, there's, there's innocent Jewish people on both sides, um, that they'd be protected. Supernatural protection. I'd love to hear stories of radical supernatural protection from Jesus on that. Um, so yeah, thirdly, we want to pray for evil to be pushed back. That's what God would do. That evil would be absolutely squashed and obliterated. That's never going to happen on earth, right? But that actually in this scenario, it would be pushed back. And that God's presence would come in a powerful way. And fourthly, we pray for peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So where Jesus is, peace prevails. That's just what happens in his kingdom. So those four things. We might send it out as well in how we can pray for. But I wanted you to know that one, we're able to send um, with huge generosity to support those in the greatest need there uh, in southern Israel and moving into Gaza. And we can pray into these things. God does stuff. So that's the first one. Um, second one, I just wanted to highlight Ian being here. So Dave mentioned it. For those of you who don't know Ian Wilshire, I would say he is probably the key person, at least in Zimbabwe, when it comes to dealing with the areas in our lives, emotional areas, anger, anxiety, depression, those sorts of things, from a biblical standpoint. I would say he has probably the most wisdom in this area, as far as anybody I know in Zimbabwe, if not many in South Africa as well. And so next week, whether you're a Christ follower here today, whether you have friends who are Christ followers or not, whether you're exploring faith, uh, it's one not to be missed. I'm actually missing it, but it is one not to be missed. Um, and that's actually why I got Ian as well. It's one of the only weeks that he could do because he's traveling. And just an update, um, 
from my part is I'll actually be heading, some of you will know Vic and Tanya Stander from Canada. They um, have been here twice to support us in our early church plant time and also recently a few months ago. And they're getting ready to move to another church. Uh, their Canada visas are expiring after 10 years. So they're getting ready to join or plant another church, probably California side. And so I'm heading over for six days to support their eldership. They're in transition. They're getting ready to appoint another lead pastor. But Vic and Tanya are there and uh, they've really felt connected with us because of them being here. So I'm heading there to do men's things, teenagers, spend time with their elders, um, help them in navigating that time. So prayers for that would be great. Otherwise, I'd be here. Um, I told Ian it's not because I thought he was bad, that I didn't want to listen. Um, so please do invite your friends um, to, to, to next week. Um, it's going to be a really, really special time. So diving into the rest, um, extra bit of the book of James. And today, we are talking about the fact that our words matter. That's what we're looking at today, is that our words matter, the power of our words. Um, what we say has an impact. And this actually ties in so well with what Ian's sharing on, because the result is, is if internally we have issues when it comes to uh, anxiety, when it comes to depression, when it comes to the state of our hearts, the natural overflow of that is in what we say. And so if we don't navigate what's happening internally, we will never be able to navigate what comes out externally. And so it ties in perfectly with Ian's message as well. So I love how God's brought that together. But when it comes to our words, they have a dramatic effect on our lives. We have probably all heard the saying, and we know it to be false, that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. And we know it's 100% false. In fact, I think there's many people who would choose physical pain over the emotional pain they've experienced. There's many. I think there's many who would say, I would rather have a leg that has been broken than have um, received some of the words that I've received, the negative words. I, I think there's a huge impact on those. And so there's positive words that shape our lives. They blow wind in our sails. They bring huge encouragement. But there's also the negative that bring that great hurt. And so today we're going to look at four key points from the book of James that'll help us navigate this. And even if you're exploring faith, this will be some brilliant things to help you navigate your speech. Uh, it'll help on both ends of the spectrum. So we're going to look at four things. Firstly, we're going to look at the fact that we need to own our words. We have to own them. We have to take responsibility for the things that we say. Secondly, we're going to look at the fact that words are powerful. We need to recognize that they're powerful. Thirdly, we need to look at the fact that words must build up and not tear down. So words should build up uh, and not tear down. That's about encouragement. And fourthly, that words should align with our actions. There should be a link between what we say and how we act. So we could talk on many things, but that's what we're going to dive into uh, today. So first one, owning our words. Let's look at what it says in James 3. If you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn there and get along to it. This past week for three days, I was down with um, the team uh, who leads Version, the Bible app, uh, Bible Project, some of you might know right now, media. And it was really interesting that they were saying that teenagers and 20s in America and in England and Europe are saying, actually, we don't want to read our Bibles on a phone or a device anymore. We want it on paper. We want to be able to write. We, we want to feel like the reality of this, of, of Scripture. And that would be my encouragement to you as well. I obviously have my Bible on digital, but what I carry with me and what I want to look at all the time is one on paper. There's something about it, and you can make notes, and you carry it with you. It has memories of your faith journey. And so if you don't have a Bible, please do um, get one. If your teens don't have one, we've also got those available. But let's read from uh, James 3, and we will do that together. 
if I can find it. I told you all where it was last week, eh? Page, well, it's another one page on, 1,012. Great, here we go. James 3, 1 to 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I'll pause there quickly, because James in this is challenging leadership, right, to those teaching, and that we shouldn't jump to it too quickly, that I shouldn't jump to it, anybody else who preaches should not jump to it too quickly. And so that's a challenge to any of us wanting to lead in a spiritual context, whether that's in a preach, whether that's in leading uh, in any sort of area where we're speaking and using our words. We need to realize that with leadership comes responsibility. But I believe that all of us here can apply this and need to apply this. And this is why a helpful definition of leadership from a great expert in leadership, John Maxwell, is that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Great definition. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And because we influence people when we connect with them, when we speak with them, that means that actually all of us lead in some aspect of our lives. It might be leading our children. It might be leading even silently when we're not a leader in an office place, in the connections that we have. But because of influence, we all lead. So out at the outset, we need to realize that our speech is not perfect. It never will be, as it says there in the scripture. We stumble with our words. We say things we shouldn't. We all need to take responsibility for our words because God will hold us to account for the things that we say. Look at this in Matthew 12, verse 36 to 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account. This is scary. For every careless word they speak. For every careless word we've spoken, there'll be an account for it. For by your words, you'll be justified, saying, Lord Jesus, I, I love you, come into my heart. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, I'll give a little bit of explanation of this, uh, because what Jesus isn't saying in this is that somehow your words will mean whether you enter heaven or not. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is there are words where you commit your life to Christ and he changes your heart. Heaven is home. There's also words where you say, I don't believe in Jesus. He doesn't exist. And the condemnation that happens there is you get what you wanted when you die. Life apart from God for all eternity. So there's that condemnation. But I think what he's talking about here is he's talking about the fact that when you Christ followers, he was writing to the church. He's saying that there is an effect to our words. They matter. Our words matter. They carry a weight. And God wants us to think of it that way. A few things to think on this. Nobody forces you and I to say anything when it comes to responsibility. We all have a choice whether we speak or whether we don't speak. We don't speak accidentally. It's not like suddenly someone grabs hold of our lips in a crisis point and we just don't know how we said what we said. No, we speak on purpose. We say things on purpose. None of it's by accident. We might speak out of turn. Or when we're angry, we might say things that we didn't think that we would say. Or when we hit a pothole, words might come out of our mouth that we don't use in normal vocabulary. But that's actually showing a reflection of our heart. It's showing our heart state. Scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever the situation, we do have control over what we say. We have control. We need to take responsibility for our words. And once we've taken responsibility to admit and to accept that we're the ones who say it, nobody pushes us to say it, no matter how they act, we then move on to the next part, is that we recognize that it's not just flippant words we say, but our words have power. So that's the second point. Words are powerful. We need to recognize that. 
Let's continue reading. James doesn't hold back, as we said. If there's any book to read, book to dive into in Scripture, uh, this is a challenging one. Look at what he says, verse 3. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set um, among our members, staining the whole body. Not exactly the best speech, right? Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I mean, James is just going after what we say and the impact it can have. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Has some scary stuff. But that's good. Because I feel that we all need to have a wake-up call on what we say. It's always helpful for us to reassess again and to think again, what are my words? What are they like? So James brings three pictures. He brings a bridle in the mouth of a horse that can direct a horse sometimes. I would rather take a motorbike, to be honest, because it has uh, an accelerator that works, it has brakes that work, whereas horses, I find sometimes those things work and sometimes they don't. So I'll take that any day. But uh, it has a rudder that can direct a vessel much larger than itself. And he says, a fire that can set an entire forest ablaze. So what's the bottom line? Something small, like our tongue, like our mouth, can have a great impact. It may be positive or negative, but it will have an impact. You'll notice as he's describing it, there's positive and negative to those things. You know, you can direct a horse in a healthy way to go or an unhealthy way. You can direct a ship in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. The fire one is, he's using it just in a negative term. But you see he's saying they can be positive and they can be negative. Uh, and look at that phrase that's so scary, setting on fire the whole course of life. I want us to think about that statement because words determine the direction of our future. The things that are said to us and the things that we say to others really do have the power to direct the course of someone's life, to direct the course of our lives. And so words are immensely powerful. So what does it mean for us? It's a sober, sober reminder from the Lord to beware of the power of our words, to recognize that our words have power. This tiny little body part has immense strength and it needs to be harnessed to be used for good rather than bad. So that's the second one. Third one. Our words must build up rather than tear down. Our words must build up and not tear down. He says this, James 3, we keep reading on. With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth, from the same mouth, comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring for, um, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our speech, yours and mine, has the power to encourage people or to tear people down, to speak life or to speak death. I know people, sadly, who have ended friendships, who have damaged relationships, who've cut short employment and have left churches because of words. Words that they've said 
or words that have been said about them. And then on the other side, on the positive scale, there's been many examples of words that have opened up destinies, that have restored brokenness, that have brought radical encouragement, that people will track down their lives in their 30s and 40s, and you see how they're doing, and they say, you know what? There was a conversation I had when I was 16 and 17, and I've never forgotten it. And it set me on the course of life. So there's positive and negative, but we want it to be on the positive. James says that out of the mouth can come good and evil, but for the Christ follower, it should be good. He's saying that if you've come to Christ, you become a new creation, says in Corinthians, a new creation. Uh, He says that you've turned, the change has been as dramatic as from salt water to fresh water, as from producing figs to producing grapes, as from uh, a salt pond to fresh water. He's saying that's the dramatic change that happens when you become a Christ follower. Everything turns around. It turns upside down in your life. We're never going to be perfect. We're going to say things that we shouldn't. But that should be happening less and less the closer and closer we move to Jesus. That's the challenge for each of us. We want our mouths to be reborn. Just as Jesus changes our hearts, he then wants every aspect of our lives to look like it's been reborn, to be transformed. For people to say, you know, I actually can't think of the last time that I heard that person saying anything horrible about anyone. I can't remember the last time I heard that person gossiping. Just, it just seems like they're always encouraging people. That's what we want people to be saying about us. I'd love what you were saying about that, uh, who, of us who call Hope Church home. Saying that there's just something different about those guys. I can't put my finger on it, but it just seems that their words and what they say is just always uplifting and building up other people. Why? Because they've been transformed by the living hope, the hope of the gospel. And we need Jesus to help us in that. Because later on in James uh, 4 verse 11 to 12, you can turn across uh, to it if you want to. But this is what uh, James says. He follows on from this and he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brothers speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor. What's he getting at? If we don't watch what we say, in particular speaking evil against someone, it's a major problem in God's eyes. And I would say, this is to be clear, that evil includes anything anti-God in our conversation about someone. Because we might say, well, my words aren't evil. I mean, I'm not saying let's kill that person or, or those sorts of things. I would say it's anything negative. So it's gossip. It's lies. It's cold shouldering in a conversation. It's short and sharp bursts in a conversation because we, we don't, we, we, we're kind of aggro with somebody. I would say that's the same camp as what he's talking about here. And why is it such a big problem? Well, it's because if we speak evil against other people, it means that we believe that we're God. And we have the right to decide how we speak to somebody else or not in a positive or a negative sense. And it reminds me of Jesus' words when he said in Matthew 7 verse 3, Why do you see the speck? that's in your brother's eye but you don't notice the log that's in your own when we speak evil about other people it's because we somehow think that we're standing on a more positive side of the world and positive side of behavior where jesus actually says you're all in the same camp in need of me there's only the only differentiating is between jesus and between us there's no differentiation on the horizontal playing field so what do we do what do we do if somebody's hurt us What do we do if somebody's hurt somebody with their words that we care deeply about? How do we respond? 
This is the challenge for each of us. I'd say firstly, we ask Jesus to help us see that person with his eyes. We ask Jesus to help us see the person who's hurt us with their words with the same eyes that he has for them because he died for them on the cross. So he loved them enough to die for them as much as he loved them enough to die for us. And the only way we can have any reference point is if we can ask Jesus to help us to see them with his eyes. And that's got to be a supernatural thing in our hearts. Because I can imagine for some of you sitting here today, there's been some things said to you that are so painful that you just go, I just can't even think about that person. I can't think anything good. I don't ever want to see them again. And so in our earthly strength, there is no ways that we will ever be able to see them with God's eyes. It has to come from Him. But for the cross, we would all be in the same boat. We all need um, Jesus from that. So the first one is to ask Jesus to help us see people with His eyes. And then how do we respond? I would say that we need to speak honestly. And so if we have been hurt by someone, maybe they don't know it. Maybe it was just a said and passing comment and they didn't realize the gravity of what that meant to us. But I think we owe it to them and in the conversation to just say, hey, I just want you to know how those words made me feel. I just want you to know what I, what I came across in that moment. And so we, we, we need to first go one-on-one -on -one with that person, have a conversation um, about words that have hurt us. Now, if they do care, well, that's amazing. It's a chance for restoration. If they don't care, or if they hate us just the same, I believe that then we can share with somebody else our burden. We can bring it to someone. We can say, hey, listen, I just want you to know what's happened. This is a terrible situation. This pain is, is just too hard to bear. And you can offload and share with someone. You can pray with someone. So get it out. Don't hold in the pain that you have of words. Don't hold those words and get them out in you speaking words. But in the midst of that, we can still pray for our enemies. We don't want to speak evil. We want to pray against evil. And then lastly, what we do is we want to entrust that hurt to God. We deal with, uh, with the pain and where it's come from. We have a conversation if we can. We invite somebody else into it. Or we offload and we get support if we can. And then lastly, we need to entrust our hurt to a God who knows, to a God who understands, and to a God who will make things right for all eternity. He will. We can entrust the pain we faced and the person who's done the pain, we can entrust that person to God knowing that He will deal with them justly and rightly for all eternity. We can hand that over to Him. But we want to be a people who bring blessing to others. We want to be those whose words are flavored with encouragement. We want to build up and not tear down with our lips. And then what's the overflow of that? The final point today, the result of allowing God to renew and restore our heart, our mind, and our mouth is the final point, which is where our words should align with our actions. And this is something called integrity. And James closes off. As I said, we've jumped around because James speaks like that. He says this at the end, but above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, the words you say, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And this final challenge has to do with being people of integrity. And integrity means there's as close as possible an alignment between what we say and how we act, between the picture we show everybody on the outside to how we act behind closed doors. There's the same alignment. They're, they're, they're as close together as possible. And many of us, including myself, have a huge amount to grow in this area. I'll be the first to say there's huge growth I need in this area. We may call it people-pleasing. 
We might call it telling white lies. We might say it's bending the truth or not maybe sharing all of the truth. We might say that um, we had to pull out of a commitment because something came up. We just, just something came up, but in reality, we didn't really feel like going to it or a better option came up. And so we pulled out of our responsibility out of our commitment. We might say that we're working on it, but we haven't yet started it. And this can quickly become a lifestyle. And very soon, we're not the same person that our words say to how we act. And we're not the same person to how we speak in public, to how we behave in private the distance between who we truly are and who people see us as keeps widening and the millennial generation which i live in those of us who grew up in the cell phone age can i tell you we are the worst at this we are the worst we pull out of commitments when something better comes up we live these fluid lives and uh, we commit to things we love but we drop things we don't like and quickly pick up others now, we just never really want to commit to something and it's because we grew up in the age where we could say, oh, I'll see you for, uh, um, for coffee. And uh, then something better came up like 15 minutes before. And because cell phones were just on the scene, we could quickly message and make up a story or just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I just can't make it anymore and just quickly do something better. Whereas the generation before the boomers and others before that, you just did the right thing because that's what you did. And you said you were going to be there, so you were going to be there. And uh, contracts were done on a handshake because your hand was your word and your word had strength. But it's all changed now. We live in this fluid life, which is a scary way to live. And so for us, millennials, I'm talking about myself and others, the commitment lines are much easier to blur. And we must change that if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, if we're going to be people who live with integrity. You see, Christ was saved from our sin. We live knowing that heaven is home. So we're not going to face condemnation for all eternity as a result of not living with integrity. But we will still suffer something costly. We'll experience a sense of being far from God. We may feel anxiety instead of peace. Our relationships might not be as they could. Our sin will block this closeness from Jesus that we truly need and long for. We let other people down and we hurt other people. Um, and we see this in church contexts. You know, we see this where people have committed and said, I'll be there and I'll make it happen. And, uh, and just say, ah, oh, can't do it. Can't do it. I said I'd commit, but I can't do this. It's two days time, but like make a plan. You know, we, we, we see that. And we just go, actually, there's a, there's a cost that affects many, many other people in the process. It can happen in our businesses as well. So how do we sort it out? How do I sort it out in my life? How do we sort it out in our lives? Jesus isn't far away. He's close. He wants to be super close to us. And often this, this sin or lack of integrity, it makes us kind of shy away from Him. It makes us move a bit further away from God. And He's saying, no, come to me. I'm the one who can sort this out in your life. And so we want to come close to Him in that. We want to allow Him to, to shape us. We want to allow Him to mold us. We want to allow Him to transform us. As I share often, we don't try harder. We just come to Him. Like we sang earlier, we just come to him.